We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. So we've been dealing with um, imitation, and the last point we looked at was submission. Yes? The submission of Jesus and the apostles, right? And we took time to deal with that. We delved into spiritual maturity, and about spiritual maturity essentially being mind control. Yeah? And we, we took time to deal with that and about how everything that God will do is hinged to the submission of a person. Everything. If, if, if you're constantly resistive, you limit what God is able to do in and through you. Right? Everything God will do. If you're constantly resisting, then you will stifle or limit how much God is able to do and through you. The will of God for you is not a person. It's a yielded person at the right time who has been processed enough. Right? At the right time. So... So if Mary had said, I, I'm, I'm not able to do this, I can't stand the stigma of, of getting pregnant out of wedlock as a virgin. I can't even explain that. That my hymen is intact, but I'm pregnant. In a society where marriage was not complete until the groom comes out of the bedroom with a stained sheet. That was Jewish culture. The marriage was not until it is consummated and at the point of consummation, the groom comes out with the stained marriage bedsheet that says, here is the blood and the tissue and the hymen. That's when both families can part in peace. Otherwise, we are about to stone somebody to death now. That was Jewish culture. So it is in that climate, are you following me now, that an angel appears to a virgin who has been betrothed to a man that she has kept herself for and says, you are about to be pregnant. Why is this going to happen? Seeing as I do not know, know there is, I have not slept with a man. I have not been with a man. And the angel says, no, this one doesn't need a man. The Holy Spirit himself will knock you up. So she got knocked up by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Imagine if you came to church and you say, Pastor, Pastor, look at you and say, ah, Mary, how are you doing? He's like, Pastor, I'm fine. I just feel a bit of money sickness. What happened? I think I'm pregnant. Have you slept with anybody? No. Who did it? Um, what happened was the, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost himself, the power of the Holy will overshadow you. Ooh. Pastor will look at you. And the first thing he says, eh? You are pregnant. You are still claiming to be a virgin. Not only that, the Holy Ghost is responsible. You so say this is a deliverance matter. Because you are, not only are you pregnant and walking in immorality, you are also deluded. What made that prophecy happen to Mary? Not what made the prophecy happen. What made the prophecy happen to Mary was the line, be it unto me, according to your word. In other words, the prophecy in that instance would have come to pass whether Mary was yielded or not. Because what was triggering the manifestation of the prophecy? In the fullness of time. In other words, God is ready to do in time what has been done in eternity. And once God is ready in time, a yielded vessel in time will bring it about. If a person can appear to hinder, hamper, impair the move of God, it's because it's not the fullness of time. 
the only time a man can appear to thrive in his opposition to a God move is when that thing is out of time. But the moment it is the fullness of time, a yielded vessel is instantly put into play to bring about God's will. So it happened unto Mary because she said, be it unto me according to your word. If she said, I can't do it, she would not have been forced because God will not strive with anybody. So what plugged Mary into it? That she can receive that word. And I told you already when we dealt with, um, earlier on in this series, I believe I showed you where um, it was said of, 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 of Sarah that blessed are you. And the only person, the only other woman that came and received that single out of this, there's a reference to you that is eternal. Are you following me now? So everything God will do, he will do because you are yielded to him. He will do it. He will. But that you are yielded or not determines how much is done in your life and when. Lest you misrepresent the preeminence of God. God will not run you over to fulfill his will in you. Most times we abdicate responsibility to God because it's his word. Jesus himself, the word, had to subject himself to the word. You follow me now? The logos had to subject himself to the graphene. And at every point in time, single out what was the rema in the graphe for himself, even though he was the logos. Yes, he comes and he says, I come in the volume of the books as is written concerning me. Jesus came fulfilling what was written. He could have rewritten what was written to favor him. Think about it. Because he's the writing. And you see how words reshuffle. If Harry Potter can do it, Jesus can. I told you here, do not confuse the things that God does not do with the things that God cannot do. The fact that God does not do some things does not mean that he cannot do some things. Calm down. Every possibility that exists in the universe is a testament to his ultimate possibility. We must understand God in that light. God can kill. See, New Testament people must understand that if a man can kill and God cannot, you are equating more power to this man, how be it evil, than God. Does that make sense? You are saying that a man has the capability to do something, God cannot. So in that particular sphere, it means that that man is more powerful or more capable than God. And that's a dangerous precedent to set. That's not the right interpretation of scripture. God can do those things. Even if he does not do them. And then we start to understand what is it in his nature that prohibits him from doing what otherwise he is able to do. That's when you start to appreciate grace better. You understand? Grace is not what God cannot do. It's what God has chosen to not do. God chose to put himself in a position where he will not see my sin. Because if he sees my sin, I am dead. Till tomorrow. For eternity. If God sees your sin, you are dead. So what God now bound himself to ensure that I will not see in you what will make me kill you. That's the message of grace. Let me take out, let me suppress what if I saw in you. You're dead. And how do I fix this? Because I'm, I can see all things. There's a problem. I can see your thoughts before you even think them. 
So you know what? I'll just change the view. I'll just change the view. I'll just, I'll just take out, if, if you remember those days of acetate slides, you know, before we had projectors, we had acetate slides where everything was in some in transparent piece of, of acetate. So what, he walks like a scanner. You have a machine that has a flatbed scanner and then you put the, this, the slide on it and then it projects in reverse that slide onto a plain screen. Right? That's how acetates were. So back in the days when we were um, um, projecting songs and stuff, a repertoire can have like a whole big file. You know those, um, what do you call them? Ring binders. Yeah. And in that, ring bind, that whole ring binder can have like maybe just 10 songs. Depending on how many verses each song has. Okay. Because one A4 acetate can maybe contain like one or two verses. At most. Does that make sense? And then you put the acetate and then as soon as you are... Um, getting to the end of that slide, you literally see somebody rolling off. So on the screen, you see the, the, the slide going off and another one coming on to show you what's coming next. Picture that with God. And all he does is to take out that slide that contains your mess. And as he's taking it out, the cross is slotting in. So God doesn't stop seeing. God just changes what he's able to see. And if we must preach the gospel, we must interpret God correctly. A lot of New Testament believers are trying to explain God away instead of explaining God. Are you here? Trying to explain God away. I know God, God, no, God didn't do this. So we're confusing ourselves. He's able to do stuff, but he doesn't do that because of the way he sees us now. Are you here? So he will not run you over in his preeminence and force you to do what he wills for you to do. He ain't going to do that. Therefore, his manifestation in your life is subject to the level of your yielding. Are you here? So it's imperative to live a submitted life. So Paul will say to them, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the message of God, Romans 12 and 1, or in view, other translations say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in view of the mercies of God. In other words, on account of the mercies of God, present your lives, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Romans 12, 1. Acceptable to God. Which means ministry. I beseech you therefore, brethren, in view of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Other translations say, which is your reasonable act of worship or your reasonable worship. How does the TPT put this? As a life of submission. What should be our proper, go on, response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender. Can you see that? Surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. And worship there is not rendered the word proskuneo, which is the primary word for worship in the Greek. The word, there's another word used for worship in the New Testament and it's the word latrio, which means to serve. That's why the translators substituted diakonia for worship. Because they, they make the same thing. Do you understand? Yes. Proskuneo, which is the primary word for worship, means to fall prostrate before somebody that you are, in, you are in awe of. And the posture of proskuneo in worship is the posture of a dog licking its master's hand after being given a treat. That's the picture of the word proskuneo, which is the word worship. So you cannot worship and retain your comportment. You cannot worship and retain your cool. That defies the very definition of worship. Are you following me now? Because proskuneo means to fall flat in awe of somebody you acknowledge has been above you and do that in such service the way that a dog would just come and lick its owner, lick its master. That's the access you have by the blood. Yeah. 
to just come and lick God all over and just love on him and lap on him and he's not disgusted by your enzymes. That's the word proskuneo. When worship is used, that's, that's the primary word. But when worship is used in Romans 12, that's not the word used. The word used there is substituted for a word latrio, which means to serve someone, to wait on someone. Which is similar to the word diakonia for service. Make sense? So that's how they rendered it, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of service. Worship. So these are the things you understand when you read scripture carefully. Are you following me now? So worship is a submitted life, essentially. That zeroes down worship to obedience. Worship equals obedience. Obedience equals worship. It's not so deep. So you cannot be said to be living in worship or serving in worship and be in resistance to the move of God. You can't be said to be a worshiper and be walking in resistance to authority, in resistance to spiritual guidance, in resistance to pastoral um, responsibility, in resistance to to the will of God per time. I know you have said it, God, but... Somebody who can know the will of God and choose not to walk on it can do anything to you. Somebody who can know the will of God and choose to not is dangerous. It's, it's, because it's, it's not a function of you not knowing. It's you knowing and refusing. I've said over and over and over, the only thing you can do to me is make sure I don't hear God. Because if I hear him, I'm done. I'm gone. There's no negotiating. If he speaks and we hear, we're done. We're, that's it. Once you have spoken, twice have I heard. Not twice you have spoken, once I'm trying to hear. Once you have spoken, me, I've heard something. And again, that's metaphorical. You spoke once, that's all I need to know. That's what it means. It's not counting numerology. Are <laughs> you guys understanding what I'm saying? It's not numerology. Again, you have to be careful in reading your Bible that you don't get caught up in numerology. Otherwise, you think 70 times 7 is 490. How many times should I forgive my neighbor? 70 times 7. Okay. Caleb, I have a jotter for you. You have 490 slots of forgiveness. I'm counting. So for everybody you're dealing with in your life, you have a book. And the ledgers on that book is 490. Because Jesus said 70 times 7. The moment you get to 490 and I tick you off, that's it. You have exhausted your forgiveness. If that's, if we, that's how it is, then we have a problem with God. He cannot forgive you indefinitely because we have his nature. So if God places a limit on human forgiveness... It means we can also interpret that he places a limit on divine forgiveness. If he places a a limit on divine forgiveness, then he cannot have removed my sins far away from me. So that forces us to look at scripture critically and see what the scripture is actually saying. And then you understand that it's an allegory of the fact that you forgive infinitely. Does that make sense? Forgiveness is infinite. There's no limits to how much because the idea is not that you buy a jotter and start to count 490 for each human being that you're dealing with in the earth. Make sense? That's why I treat numerology with a pinch of salt. Two is the number of this. Three is the number of Trinity. Five is the number of grace. Uh, what Did God preach grace five times for us to receive it? So how is five the number of grace? By one sacrifice, yes, perfected forever. Those, so how did five... Which mathematics did we work out? Seven is the number of completion because he rested on the seventh day. So what, where did we get all this nonsense from? Everything, 40, 90 is the, is the number of the apostolic. 12 is the number of, of full circle. And you just keep going. And you come to preach Christ and you're preaching mathematics. The gospel doesn't need addictives. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It doesn't. Doesn't need help from any other branch of, of the world. Is helping anybody? Yes, 
Yes. Just be submitted. That is worship. Just be yielded. Just be submitted. Worship equals obedience. Obedience equals worship. And as we saw, worship is submission. Obedience is submission. Submission is worship. Submission is obedience. The three are one and the same. Make sense? So there's stuff that we're believing God for that he will not run you over to bring to pass in your life only to the measure that you let him. The measure to which you submit and stop trying to rationalize stuff. Because there will always be something to rationalize. There will always be something to subject to logic. Always. 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 Fear is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is not fear. Opposite of faith is sight. That's truth. We do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is what you can see. It's what you can see that holds you bound. Not even what you're afraid of. It's what you are sure of that can choke faith. So there will always be something to rationalize. There will always be something to justify. There will always be something to reduce to logic. And that is the measure to which your faith is stifled. Because at the point of, sub- of submission is reckless abandon. You're gone. You're submitted. This is good for anybody? So can we continue? Fantastic. Today we are starting to look at... <laughs> Starting to look at the emotions and the character of Jesus and the apostles. You ready for this? Yes. Emotions, it will interest you to note, and you can do your research and find out. Emotions is one part of the human makeup, physiological makeup, that scientists do not agree on the definition. Do you, do you hear what I said? There is a definition for every physiological aspect of the human existence. For the anatomical aspect of human existence. For the biological and botanical aspect of every human existence. For the scientific aspect and psychological aspect of human existence. Until we arrive at the subject of emotions. Scientists do not have a uniformed definition or description for emotions. That should immediately draw your attention to how volatile emotions are. Isn't that interesting? It should really draw your attention to how volatile, how, what's another word? It's synonyms for volatile. How unstable, yeah. At the very least. How, how unstable, how shaky emotions are. Scientists cannot agree on how to define it. As always, we draw our submissions from God's word. Now, from studying God's word, I've come to submit or deduce that emotions are the culmination, right? The sum total of the wide range of biological feelings that sit in the mind. Culmination, the sum total, the amalgamation, the conglomeration, the the confluence in, yes? Fusion, congruence, entirety, yes. You get the point? Of the wide range of biological feelings that exist in the mind. Guy, when scripture says renew your mind, take it seriously. When scripture says renew your mind, (laughs) 
is a life or death matter. Because in your mind sits the most powerful arsenal available to man. If you can harness it properly. Does that make sense? Now, what is the most potent form of warfare weapon that exists in humankind today? I'm asking generally now. Nuclear. Nuclear. Biological weapons. Nuclear weapons. There's not more than 12 to 15 countries that are known to be nuclear powers. That are known. Because for the ones that are known, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Israel, uh, Japan, Russia, China, 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 China. <laughs> Don't mess with China. The US, of course, United Kingdom, Germany, France, um, South Africa. Some of you wonder where am I going with this. The people with the world's most potent weapons have the strictest controls over them. In other words, they are not in a hurry to deploy their most potent weapons. Child of God, that should instruct you. Yes, sir. So if I tell you that your emotions are your nuclear warheads, that should teach you that it's not for using anyhow. Before we start talking the conversation. In other words, you cannot be known to be discharging all manner of flagrant emotions just because you are emotional. You are a fool. You will kill yourself and all of us with you. Are you receiving instructions? You will kill yourself and everybody with you. Because you think you know. I'm very emotional. Me, I'm very like this. I can get angry. I'm very passionate. I can love. Don't talk to me like that. It is your most potent weapon. Guard it! Don't be in a hurry to discharge it. Hiroshima and Nagasaki are still trying to recover after over 60 years of that nuclear discharge. There's still, till today, there's still huge amounts of radiation in that place. Why do you think Israel is exercising restraint against Iran? Israel can obliterate Iran in two minutes. But the radiation that will fall back from Iran can obliterate Israel shortly after. Do you understand? It's, called, it's referred to as a nuclear fallout. The nuclear fallout can come back and contaminate Israel. Because even though they have nuclear bunkers in every kibbutz in Israel, there's not enough to keep everybody safe for a long period of time. So when you see this guy, it's not rhetoric. When you see Russia make noise, America make noise, China make noise, North Korea, why hasn't the guy done anything? Because we have to exercise restraint. The codes that control America's nuclear warheads are in a black suitcase called black box. And that suitcase goes with the president everywhere he goes. There's an oddly behind him carrying that black suitcase. And all the black suitcase contains are launch codes for America's nuclear warheads. Nobody else has access to them. Nobody. Only the president knows the codes. As he's handing over, they hand over the black box, they switch the codes. They switch the codes. It's one of the most potent routines of handover 
that the world does not see in the American government. So when we say that he's the most powerful man in the world, now you understand. That he's carrying in a black box what can end the universe. And he does not need to go to his office to do it. It follows him everywhere he goes. He's not in the car while he's on the street. The guy is behind him. He's, he's, he's attached from the Marines. It's, it's usually a Marine attache. And all the guy does is to hold that black suitcase. So say the word now. And we'll blow the word up now. And that box has been handed from one president to another, to another, to another for at least 20 presidential terms. Nobody has used it. That's the definition of power under control. Because I can release this thing, can achieve my, my, obliterate my enemy, but then pay the price of the fallout of my foolish inaction. So your most potent weapons are the ones you hold in check. You hold them in check. You literally hold them in check. Because they will kill you and everybody around you. Where does the nuclear warhead come from? Biological com com combinations. Atomic structuring. Biology. The same components that govern your mind. Protons. Atoms. Neutrons. Stuff that run your brain cells. Something that can wipe the universe is resident in your head. You see why they cannot agree on how to define it? They can't, they can't agree on how to define your emotions. And you see why your own emotions cannot seem to agree. And when I speak, I know I'm not speaking to everybody. But I'm praying that those to whom I'm sent can hear me. Because I don't just wake up and feel like teaching. There's an express word in time that you need in your Christ walk. Express word that you need. Per time in your Christ walk. Those that will receive it will receive it. And watch it literally redefine your life. Because that's one thing believers struggle with. Emotional stability. Volatile stuff. Can't be stable. And you want to be stable. You don't like how volatile you are. You don't like how unstable you are. You don't like how not in control you are. And you can't explain why you can't help it. This is the answer. It's the most poignant, the most potent, the most dangerous realm a human being can navigate is the waters of their mind. The waters of their emotions. That's why I said when scripture says renew your mind. Hold those protons, hold those neutrons. Hold, put, put your biology together. Let it come under alignment in obedience to Christ. Otherwise you will blow yourself up. And us along with you. You'll blow yourself up. Sons of God cannot afford to be volatile. You can't afford to be unstable. You can't afford to be shaky. I mean, you are supposed to be standing on solid ground. You're planted on solid ground. By the definition of your salvation, you cannot be volatile. Does that make sense? You cannot. By virtue of being a son of God, you can't be shaky. You can't be unstable. You can't. I'm not saying you can't feel. But you can't just whip up the black box just because they said you have a big nose. Because every time you make an emotional wreck of yourself, you affect everybody attached to you. Every time you make an emotional wreck of yourself, you affect those attached to you. Because that's your most potent realm of existence. Your emotions. You can't mess with it.
Why you? Why? How, how dare you talk to me like this? And then Paul, you're, you're violent. You're aggressive. I will teach you a lesson. You won't last long. It's not a curse. It's a promise. Did you hear what I said? Yes, sir. You won't last long. You will make a wreck of yourself. What made you think? This, but let's not even talk about the debate of Judas's eternity. Is Iscariot. I'm not even talking about that. I know where he is. You can argue for yourself where he is. But what I want to highlight here is what killed him was not judgment. There is no way Jesus prayed for Peter and could not have upheld Judas. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You will not even sell me. You will deny that. Judas had to admit he knew Jesus to sell Jesus. Peter denied knowing Jesus. The girl said, you are sound like him. Say, hey, I've never been with him. I don't know him. Not once, not twice, three times. He said, I don't know him. And then a religious, myopic-minded individual will come up and say, well, Peter repented. Show me where. Show me one place in your Bible where Peter repented for betraying Jesus. Peter showed contrition where? It was Judas that showed contrition. It was Judas that cried. Show me where Peter cried. After, of, of course, after the three, um, after the cock crows, he cries at that point. But that's it. Contrition remorse is not repentance. And repentance is not restoration. Why was he restored? There's one reason given in scripture for why Peter was restored. I prayed for you. Let your faith not fail for you. I prayed. What is Jesus saying? I interceded for you. And he will not cover some people. When Romans says in his mercy, in his forbearance, he covered the sins that were previously committed. Sins that were previously committed. The blood backdated all iniquity and took it away. People that died came out of their graves, saw their families and went away. And one is lost. It's not what your pastor preached that you should take home. Don't be sentimental with theology. <laughs> so having established that, you see that it wasn't judgment that killed Judas. What killed him? Volatile emotion. Judas allowed himself to get so worked up to the point where his emotions informed him how bit wrongly that he was beyond redemption. And at that point, he forgot every single prophecy about redemption. Yes, sir. Yeah. Including the express prophecy what you must do, do quickly. He should have gone, ah, right. This is what Jesus saw when he said I should hustle up and do this selling. So this selling was part of prophecy. And, oh, right. So I was fulfilling prophecy and I have fulfilled prophecy. <laughs> and he's praying for me. Yeah. Prophecy fulfilled. Was this what he meant when he was saying, he that eats of this bread yes, and drinks of this yes, food shall have eternal life. And was that what he meant when he gave me the bread to eat? And then after he gave me the bread to eat, he now said, okay, now go and do quickly what you need to do. And I, 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 I have done it. So that means I, I have it. I sold him, but I have eternal life. I ate bread. I drank wine. And I, I know I sold him. I, I know I sold him. But so, so if people that were physically killing him, he was telling God, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Because that's what life does to you. If your emotions are not in check, it will magnify a molehill into a mountain. It will magnify a little thing. 
and make you feel like that's the end of the world. And you want to kill yourself. It's volatile emotions. You have been beclouded to believe that what has happened to you is the best you can be. And there's no life worth living because somebody took advantage of you. How about the person who was disadvantaged for you? How about the person who was bruised for you? Well, see, that's what life does. It takes your eyes off he that was bruised for you and makes you focus on he that bruised you. You don't build an altar around your perpetrator. Build an altar around your abuser. And you take your eyes off he that was abused for you. He was bruised for your infirmities. Chastised. The chastisement for your peace was upon him. Surely he has borne our transgression. Surely he has carried our griefs. A man of grief acquainted with sorrow. Take your eyes off your abuser. Put your eyes on he who was abused for you. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. He became your curse. Became your rejection. Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered forsaken, suffered rejection for your acceptance. Now we are the accepted in the beloved. A man rejected you, let him keep walking. Accepted in the beloved. You dropped your file somewhere. Put it down there as your CV and somebody ate a cara out of it. Let them keep doing. You are qualified to receive the inheritance of the saints of light. Time and chance happen to them all. That's how a son of God sees. That's how a son of God processes. That's how a son of God takes control of their life. Keep your emotions in check. They're too powerful for you to be flimsy with them. Just look at the prophecy. What is written? Destroy this temple in three days. I will lift it up. Ah, this temple that took 40 years to build. No, I'm talking about the temple that is my body. And then Judas will go, right. So you mean I, 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 I initiated this prophecy? Okay, so the best I can do at least is to give it three days and see what happens. Yeah. At least in, after three days, I should be able to know my fate. Of volatile emotions. Same thing that killed Ananias and Sapphira. Volatile emotions. Ah, it's over. It's over. I can't live with killing Jesus. People that killed him are saved. People that physically yes, chose Satan over him. Barabbas. Yes, saved. Roman centurion that supervised his crucifixion. Saved. How do I know that Roman centurion was saved? If thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Roman centurion, Jesus died. Surely this is the son of God. Instantly, first beneficiary. Guy stood there watching the guy he just supervised his killing. Looked at the cloud going black. Looked at the darkness, all the chaos, the earthquake. Instantly he believed. This is the son of God. Straight up. Judas had no reason to kill himself. Had no reason to kill himself. And you sitting here, watching me, have no reason to kill yourself. Hallelujah. There's no reason. I know you're hurt, but it's not enough reason. I know you feel like it was the end of the road, but it's not enough reason. Every pain has been calculated on the cross. Every disappointment, every hurt, every rape, every abuse, every violence, every delay, every setback, every curse paid in full. You are not your curse. You are not your disappointment. You are not your rape. You are not your abuse. You are not the absence of your father. 
You're not the rejection of your mother. You are not the negative pronouncement of your stepfather. You're not the rejection of a boyfriend. You're not the bullying of somebody who was a perpetrator and a traitor. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Possessing the very life of God. You exist in the God class. You can't be put down. You can't be put down. You can't. You sat with him. Together with him. The heavenly places in Christ. Far above. Principalities. You're not your sickness. You're not your disease. You're not cancer. You're not high blood pressure. You're not pneumonia. You are not HIV. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're not COVID-19. You're not typhoid. You're not hepatitis. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are not your divorce. You are not the abortion. You're not the addiction. You're who God says you are. Therefore, encourage yourself and receive healing. Emotions are given to us of God. That's why they're so powerful. Let me make this statement, and it might be very provocative. There is no such thing as negative emotion. Because emotions are part of you being human. If God created in his image and his likeness, it means every emotion you are capable of came from God's creation. He could not have created you in his image, and then you borrowed or loaned emotions from somewhere else. Now, if you understand that, then you will agree to the submission that there is no such thing, practically speaking, as a negative emotion. Stretch your imagination. It came from God. You mean even when I felt like killing somebody, Moses, shift away. I, God, will kill all these people and I will make a nation out of only you. God felt it. That's how you feel it. You mean that, 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 that emotion? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It came from God. Yes, sir. If it came from God, it is good. If you feel it, it came from God. If it came from God, it is good. If it's good, what's the problem? The problem is in your misappropriation. Yes. The emotion is not the issue. How you let it drive you and what you let it drive you to do, and when you let it drive you to do what you're doing, how you are doing it. That's the problem. So there's no emotion that is bad in and of itself. The deployment of the emotion is where the problem is. Make sense? Let's go back to anger. God can be angry. God evicts. Let's understand it. At you because of your sin. Every time this sin came up, you deserve to die. So here's what God does. He redeploys his emotion that should kill you and diverts the same energy to what is making him angry at you. He has a beef with you. By virtue of that beef, the conclusion is that you die. But he's in charge of his ability to feel the beef. He's not governed. By so what he does is to re-channel the energy of that emotion. Identifying what makes him angry at you. And becomes angry at it. You are not the focus of his anger. But he's angry. So you don't start thinking of God as one softy. God, 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 God. God, God evicts. 
Yes, in face. He was angry. And he now decided, wait, you are my enemy, but and you're my enemy with just cause. But you're my enemy because of sin and death. Okay, so now my enemies are sin and death. And I'm taking on sin and death until I crush it. Head on. Head on. Yes, sir. For your sake. Yes, sir. So the cup now that Jesus drinks is the cup of all God's anger meted out on the diversionary enemies. Sin and death. There's a reason I'm angry with you because I see sin. Oh, right. Sin. I'm angry with sin. So I'm going to deal with sin. Decisively, sin will take the fullness of my wrath and satisfy it so that I have none left to be angry at you. Containing all of God's eternal beef, all of God's eternal anger at sin in the cup. And say, please, Father, I know I said I come. I know I said here I am sent me. But man, I see the cup. Any chance, it could, any chance it could pass by me? That's what made Jesus pray that prayer. It wasn't that those guys were not afraid of dying. No, it was not the fear of dying that Jesus was afraid. No, 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 no. He was not afraid of dying. He said, no one takes my life from me. He could not be afraid of dying and say that. Let's understand. Let's understand. No. Please, let's understand why Jesus wept. Why he cried in the garden. Don't make Jesus a sissy. Make Jesus he was, not, he was not afraid of dying. He said, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He actually says, I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. He died, he resurrected. I have the power. He began to teach them things concerning his death. If he's afraid of dying, he will not have started to teach them and yes, prepare sir. them for death. Yes, so fear of death was not why he was crying. It was the uncertainty. When you start drinking, sir, you can't stop. Because if you stop, there's some of us 2,000 years later that the blood for no reach. There's some portion of that wrath for us coming that would have been remaining. So Jesus knew he had to drink eternity or don't bother. He had to drink eternity. He had to drink the last drop of God's eternal wrath for mankind to be secured in their salvation. And nevertheless, not my will, but thine. What is thine? Who desires, Timothy, that all men be saved? That's the will. All men. Desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All men. That's the will of God. The will of God was all men. You can't drink half or a teaspoon of the cup. If you drink just some of it, not all men. So he looks into it. Ah! Okay, but if I didn't know your will, it would have been different. But uh, damn, I know your will. And so I'm going to have to drink this cup. And God, in order for God to maximize the anger on the vessel, he transferred upon him all the sin of the world that he had been angry at. Clothed Jesus, epitomized Jesus as the sin of the world. Isaiah 53. Are you here? Put the entire sin of the world on Jesus. Remember I started by telling you he was angry at sin? Give me verse 5 or 6. Angry at sin. 
made all the anger come upon him. Some, some scriptures will make sense to you now. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed. Six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way, and the Lord has laid on him. So, so it's not Pav's words. Yes, sir. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So now imagine the level of God's vex. And if God is angry, somebody will pay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Follow me carefully. Somebody will pay, and they will pay with death. God has to anger at somebody. But he's in love with you, that's the problem. He has fallen in love with somebody he's angry with. He's angry with somebody he's in love with. So he takes all of that and puts on Jesus. But it has to be enough to justify God meting out all his anger on Jesus. Are you following me now? Yes, sir. Otherwise, some might survive. So that's why the law was given. That sin might be exceedingly yes, sinful. Yes, Any sin that can be manifest. There's some sin that will not manifest until there's something that says thou shalt not. So you know what? Give them some thou shalt not. Let it bring about every kind of sin. Because if we're going to use and exhaust this anger once and for all, we must make every kind of sin possible to be made manifest. I don't want to be angry at sin and then something shows up that I was not, I didn't factor in my anger. You know what? Law, go and do some work. So the law came, sin revived and I died. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. Are you following me now? So laid on him the equity of us all. Next verse. Follow me. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Please see verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God was happy messing Jesus up because he had found this object of his anger. Not only was he the object of his anger, he was the total culmination of everything God has a problem with. Because God was not bruising Jesus. God was bruising sin and death that he had a major problem with. God enjoyed bruising Jesus. Not because God loves violence, but because he had finally caught all his issues in one vessel. Put the message. So, it's what God had in mind all along. To crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin. So that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper. So God was mad at me. God is not mad at me. Why? Because Jesus consumed God's capacity to be mad. In other words, every anger against sin that God is capable of, Jesus took it. And because Jesus took it, God lost it. 
That's the gospel. Why did I say all this? God begs. What do we learn from him as the pattern? He channeled his anger constructively. Does that make sense? Nobody is saying you should not be angry. But be constructive in your anger. There's no illegitimate emotion. There is only illegitimately expressed emotions. Do you understand that? There's no illegitimate emotion. There's just illegitimately expressed emotions. But all emotion is from God. And God is good. If you can feel, you got it from God. Whatever it is you feel. How you feel, that's the problem. What you feel is the problem. When you feel what you feel, how you feel it is the problem. Some, some feelings are not in due time. Some emotions are out of due time. In other words, it's not the fullness of time for that emotion. But they're from God. Every emotional expression, every, because emotion is, like I said, it's a culmination. Yeah? The way that your brain is that mass of tissue. Yeah? Emotion is a culmination. So when somebody says, I don't feel, it's not true. I, I, I don't feel this is a lie. You have it. The right thing hasn't triggered it. I can't cry. Wait. I don't know how to talk to girl. Wait. The girl that will make you a talking minister has not come yet. I can't talk to girl. Wait. The girl that you will talk to is in the oven. Just wait. Just it's cooking. Don't worry. Because when you see her, you first start in tongues. Latapa. Hero. Kobaya. I don't have appetite for food. Wait. Why? Because the expression of every emotion boils down to the amount of information available to you. The expression of every emotion boils down to the amount of information available to you. Let me add, particularly as relevant to that particular emotional expression. In other words, you are triggered by what you know in a particular area. Does that make sense? Oh, uh, no, but what's up with you? I'm good, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm falling for this girl, man. She's just, she's just really nice. She's just really hot. I think that she's just amazing. And all that. She has beautiful legs. What's her name? I don't know. I've not met her. What does she look like? I, I, I really can't tell. Where does she live? No, I'm just, I just know she's there. I'm crazy about her. You probably have COVID-90. <laughs> You cannot gravitate in the direction of any signal that you don't have information of. Yes, sir. You cannot. If your emotion responds, it responds towards information. In other words, the information available to you dictates your emotional response. That's why you must guard your heart with all diligence. Because these gateways are what inform your mind what to express. So the difference between somebody being angry, I mean, last week, a guy was, in America, a guy was arguing with his neighbors over gardening. The front lawn. And they were shouting, the guy was cursing the guy and the wife, and they were cursing him back. The guy went into his house and brought a shotgun and shot the guy and the wife. They were not fully dead. He went and took an AR-16. Took the AR-16, came and sprayed both of them dead. And then shot himself. Argument. Why? Information. What, what the guy's brain read 
was that his destiny and his eternal life have been insulted by this couple. He magnified what was otherwise a flimsy squabble. These people have taken my life. Let me take theirs. And then when he realized I've taken their life, and then thinks, oh, now I'm going to go to jail, and he kills himself. Everybody responds to the information they receive and how they process it. Everybody. I mean to. It's a lie. You, you, you don't know that it's a lie. I'm just informing you today now, 7th of February, for the first time. And if you be honest enough to receive it, pray, I celebrate your deliverance. If you be stubborn enough to insist that no, it's a true, no problem. But nobody responds emotionally. says, I didn't mean to. In other words, we have a right to interpret you by how you acted. Because you acted based on information available to you. Your emotional expression, therefore, gives us an inroad into your ability, your mental processing. Does that make sense? What you do, how you act, how you react, is giving us an inroad into how you process information. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Somebody keeps saying, I don't mean to. I didn't, the, the person is telling you, I am not in charge of my emotion. And that's dangerous. It means that for, as far as you're concerned, those launch codes can be pressed at any time to anybody for any reason based on what you told me now. And churches are being messed up because of this. Relationships are being messed up because of this. All kinds of dynamics are being compromised because of this. Because the moment you say, I didn't mean to, I didn't intend to, I didn't mean to, I didn't intend to, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. What do you mean? If none of this is what you meant. What is your intention if none of these are your intention? But you keep doing these things and none of them is your intention. That means we don't know you, sir, because we know you based on what you have shown. While you're working in delusion that what you have shown is not who you are. That places you in the express responsibility for what information you receive. Because the information you receive determines what part of your emotion is triggered. Because if it doesn't trigger one kind of emotion, it will trigger another. How you receive the information. So really, what makes you mature in the earth is the degree to which you are able to process what life does out at you. Are you hearing me? How you are able to process what information you receive. That's why I've told you, spiritual maturity is in the mind. Spiritual warfare is in the mind. The battleground of life is in the mind. Master your mind. You have mastered life for eternity. There's no business you will fail at. No venture you will mess up. If you react in terms of Naira and Kobo, in terms of profit and loss. Because if that's the information that, that triggers you, you have a heart attack. And heart attack is a function of how you processed information. It's a function of how you process information. Cardiac arrest. It's a trigger. How you, how you process the fact that some, nobody says you should not mourn. But can you be responsible in your mourning for yourself, sir? Because if you say, let me jump into, and we let you jump into the grave. So it turns out you are absolutely in control of what you feel. You are absolutely in control of what you feel. You cannot not mean it. Cannot. Check the information you are exposing your emotions to. That's where the problem is. So that's what makes us fickle. Volatile. You love someone, but you keep crushing them. You love someone, you keep giving them a hard time. You love a church, you keep being difficult. You love your father or you love your child, and you just frustrate them. 
You say, I'm doing it because I love you. And so we start to read these things differently. But we've seen so far, at least, we've seen from Judas, a man, if you feel, and you don't process that information correctly, you'll kill yourself. And there is no reason to kill yourself. Absolutely none. Not, listen, better is never behind. Sons of God don't say good old days. Sons of God say better new days. Because better things are what are spoken concerning us. In the good old days. No, 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 no. I bind that confession. It's better new days. The path of the just is as a light that shines brighter and brighter to the perfect day. I'm not, I'm not of that school of thought. That my better days were behind. The devil is a liar. Devil is a liar. Better can never be behind. It's not possible. He said in that day, I will combine for you both the latter rain and the former. Oh, the two rains. So in other words, he that is in Christ cannot have such a disadvantage that you are trying to remember. Sons of God don't sing by the rivers of Babylon. There's already a problem that you are referring to Babylon as your success. There we sat down and there we wept when we remember Zion. No, no, no. Hebrews 10 says, but we have come to Zion. (laughs) We're not in Babylon, sir. We have left Babylon. We are in Zion. We have come to Zion. We are in Zion. No, we, we, there's some songs we don't sing. Pass me not a gentle. He's not passing nowhere. Anywhere you pass, I pass. Well, 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 no, no. In fact, if Jesus passed somewhere, it's because I pass. I am now the passing of Jesus. That's why we are the body of Christ. The body. Where can the head go without the body? Draminera, Draminera. No! We have come to the innumerable company of angels. To the church of the firstborn. No, 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 no. I am glad I am where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. I no longer worship from afar. Our reality is changed. Nearer, nearer, blessed Lord. So that you see, all of these were emotional reactions to information, to information, information they had at that time. Can you see it now? The, the it is well, guy. You, you, a boat die, you, a boat capsizes, your wife and children die. You just write some things and you're like, oh, it went peace like a river. Whenever my Lord has something to say, let's be careful we're not singing people's experiences. Careful you're not singing someone's experience. That's why I mean I prefer to just stick to what is written. Because one person can sit down and say, oh, I make room for two. That's his business. Is that genuinely? The information that is very genuine is that, oh, I just wish you would come into my space and sup with me, you know, Revelation 3.20 things, you know, and all of that. It's information. But most of that is emotional response. However genuine. It's emotional response. Because he's the one I made room in my father's house. I go to prepare a place for I'm the one that prepared for you, not you to prepare for me. That's our reality, guys. So that now starts to inform your emotions. 
That's when you start to maximize your reality as a son of God. That's when you enter the joy of salvation. That's when the gospel becomes practical to you. It's not just saying all that you're saying. It's living it out. Living it out. And it's practical. God is interested in your mind. He says, I have given you sound mind. It's a hallmark of being a son of God. Sound mind. The ability to process correctly your mental faculties. Sons of God are not dumb. Not dumb. We are fully loaded. Our loading is not from here. No be here. Hey. No be here. Tell your neighbor, no be here. Our loading. That the cares of this world can constantly sway you and sway you. No, no, no. Our feet are set on the rock that cannot be moved. They that trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion that cannot be moved but abides forever. Come on, normal people. Master, master, carest thou not that we perish. Storms, the big, beating the boat, left, right, and center. Jesus is sleeping. There's no way that Jesus was not aware of the storm. He was called in Edwardian English, tempest. It, it takes the boat on this side. So they try to balance off this way and cast anchor that way. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is sleeping. And you wonder why Jesus was sleeping. Because Jesus, son of man, had information from a pattern. You know who the pattern was? Jonah. A storm happening. Jonah was sleeping. It's in the scriptures. Because Jesus knew the scriptures. He had information. It's not the kind of storm that Jonah was in. And Jonah eventually gave his life. Because Jonah told them, throw me. They didn't throw Jonah. Jonah told them, throw my life. I'm the answer to this storm. The storm cannot kill me. I am the storm rider here. Throw me. They threw Jonah into death. Sheol. Depths. It's called Sheol. The ocean was significant of death. And the whale was the grave. It took him for three days. Guess what? At the end of three days, the sinners were saved. At the end of three days, as he rose, salvation came to Assyria. Now there's a storm. And they start to shout. Are you interested that we are going to die? Jesus is like, I have info. So you guys are freaking out because you are now magnifying this storm. I mean, last four days ago, a guy jumped sir, from the seven-story building because he heard EFCC came into the place. And he was not even the one they were after. He was visiting a friend. But as soon as he heard that EFCC came in, oh, I don't know what he was thinking. That you can jump from a seven-story. And the guy fell and smashed his head and died. And EFCC came and he was not who they were after. Information. How he received it, how he processed it. Jesus knew about Jonah. How do I say that? Master, give us a sign. Jesus said, only an adulterous and perverse generation requires a sign. But you know what? This, this generation, no other sign will be given them other than the sign of Jonah. He knew. He knew. Because it was them just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so also shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days. Jesus had info. He processed it correctly. Storm comes. Carest thou not that we perish. He's like, my friend, 
Why? Shh, you know, shh, peace, be still. Because I will die, but not by this storm. So somebody comes and says, ah, your own is finished, though. And you believe your own is finished. No, my own is just beginning. There's no way that my end can be worse than Job's end. Job, no Holy Spirit, no cross, no righteousness, nothing. And he received restoration. Job's story cannot be better than mine in this life. I'm just beginning to attempt to try to start. Better is never behind. So change your info. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.